are listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. And it's that day in time, the final Tuesday of the month, top of the 7 o'clock hour. That means, well, only one thing, David Sampson. He of the Nothing Personal with David Sampson, the daily podcast, which he does live at 8 a.m every weekday and you can follow david on twix twitter slash x at david the letter p sampson david p sampson when we last spoke you were in turmoil because you had to do your day job while the oscar nominations were coming out so quickly recap what they get right what they get wrong go well i learned a very important thing don't do a live show while you're trying to watch nominations happen and then sort of live talk about who's being nominated and then realize that you're live doing your regular show that people may be listening to, not at that particular moment. So that was a lesson learned. I was disappointed for Greta Gerwig uh, in Best Director. I thought that was the biggest snub. People are upset about Leonardo DiCaprio. I really was not. People are upset about Margot Robbie not being nominated for Best Actress. I was disappointed as well, but there's five worthy nominees. So it's going to be an interesting ride to March 10th, though people are saying Oppenheimer is going to sweep everything. I think Best Director is certain. I think Best Picture is likely. And I think the acting awards may be set in stone as well. But the thing about the Oscars is you never know, which is why it's worth watching. All right, fair enough. I got to watch I got to watch some of the movies before I watch the Oscars. That would make the most sense to me. But There's you've got me on the holdovers. Ones. That's so I'm that's that's number 1 on my list. You wrote please. Um I was curious and I know we've not talked about this a whole lot with you, but the Live Golf, the PIF Fund and the PGA Tour. They were scheduled to merge. Now it looks as if Stephen Cohen, Arthur Blank, the Fenway Group and some others may be coming in. Is this a grab by the PGA Tour to keep Piff out? Uh, is this American owners saying we want American sports to be owned by Americans? Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, this because the PGA Tour runs with this not-for-profit scam that they've been running for years. Now they're starting a profitability arm of their corporation. Is that where this influx of money should come? Well, it's very patriotic to say what you're saying, that Stephen Cohen and John Henry have stood up and they've put their hand over their heart and said, I love America, I'm going to buy this asset. But that's not really how it works. And what the merger really was, was a huge sponsorship deal where PIF was going to put a ton of money into the PGA Tour. And the result of it would be a merged entity, but really they'd still be separate. And maybe equal except pga wanted to have the upper hand they wanted to have the extra board seat sort of like mlb's competition committee where the players thought they had a seat at the table but they're outnumbered by the owners so it doesn't really matter what the players think or say much to the chagrin of tony clark what pga is doing smartly is seeing who else is out there who's willing to invest dollars and they're trying to put a group together but i don't think that that group will ever be able to match what the sovereign fund can do or at the terms that the sovereign fund will offer because people in the u.s are a little more business oriented and the saudis are interested only in getting their feet and toes and arms and that pun is horrifically intended involved in american sports as a way to try to sports wash so the pga tour definitely has a problem 
because they need the influx of money. They've got to increase their prize pool because they're losing players to the competition. And when you lose players to competition, like in any industry, either you get better, more competitive, or you disappear. And I don't think anybody wants the PGA to disappear. Do they really have to, though? I mean, so, <laughs> no, no, part? no. I'm, I'm being very serious. Right now, there's, uh, what, 48 guys in the field. I think they're expanding it to 54 this year. 54 golfers, I think, in LIV. I, I mean, that's it. That's it. Meanwhile, what the PGA Tour argues, we have the tradition. It doesn't mean anything if you win the Mexico event on the LIV Tour. It means something if you win the Farmers Insurance at Torrey Pines, etc. You don't get any World Golf ranking points playing on that tour. Could the PGA Tour just say, quite frankly, you know what? Fine. Go. Go. We'll get 54 more of you look just like you. It's a great question. And what you do is you do some math. You go speak to your sponsors, you speak to your TV partners, and you say, hey, for Masters Weekend or for PGA or for US Open, would you mind if it were Miller, Moulton, and Samson on the back nine with the final tees? How would that be? Were you still going to pay all that money? And what I mean is it's like uh, Fox or TNT doing a deal for baseball or basketball to look at a rec league. You're doing it to, for the best. And if the best players are all playing on the live tour and your tour becomes a minor league developmental tour, then you are going to get revenue associated with such a tour like minor league baseball. So you say, do they have to? And the answer is the players don't really care about whether they're winning a tournament in Abu Dhabi or they're winning a tournament in Scottsdale, Arizona. When you're guaranteed $100 million dollars, or 50 million, or 30 million, or 200 million, people at the end of the day act in their self-interest, as we all do, and Liv is gonna win those jump balls every day of the week. I actually have to admit, I think they can play hardball. I really, they're on the CW. They basically don't have a TV contract, all right? It's completely- They don't need un- it. Well, but I, I just, here's the thing though, when they you and we're by the way we're fairly pro liv because we're independent contractors and we believe that the golfers should be able to play wherever they want whenever they want so we've been much more pro liv and alternate tours than 98 of our audience but i really think the pga tour could just say you know what you basically go into the witness protection program when you go over there take your money and have a good life So that's the math they're doing. And that math would be them doing a deal with just Fenway Sports Group and Stephen Cohn and Arthur Blank and seeing what that would mean for their financials, for their ability, for their purses, for their tournaments. But at the end of the day, people vote with their fingers. And what I mean by that is when you see a John Rahm disappear and then you see every once in a while a different player and then a different player and then a different player, all of a sudden you realize that you don't have the product that you thought you'd have. Hardball is a great, great way to negotiate. It's my favorite way to negotiate, but you better have a lot of leverage and you better be willing to walk away. And if you don't have those two things going into a negotiation, you are very likely gonna lose. I was looking at arbitration 
to switch to baseball and all the things going on. Are there any stories that you have? Because I, you know, these, the money's so close on a lot of these that it doesn't matter, but I just would think being president at some point, you win one of these, you lose one of these, any animosity from the players, instead of just signing a guy, forcing arbitration, have you had any, any stories at all, or is that just a pretty commonplace thing that never has any recoil? It's total poppycock. Let me explain to you. Corbin Burns, when he stood up last year and said, I'm disappointed in my organization. I didn't think they felt about me the way they felt about me during arbitration. That guy has a terrible agent, and the two of them together don't even have a quarter of a clue. I've sat across the table from scores of players in arbitration, fighting over as little as a hundred grand, as much as a couple million dollars. And I'm passing notes. I got in trouble during the Cody Ross arbitration. The arbitrators almost kicked me out of the room because he and I were like passing notes to each other. And we were in the room over maybe a couple hundred grand. He understood because I told him what we were gonna do before we did it. And we understood because he told me what he was gonna do before he did it. We traded for players and took them to arbitration before we met them. I met Kevin Gregg in the hearing room. First time I ever met the guy and he wasn't the only player. And we ended up being close working professional associates and friends. Arbitration is part of the business. And what we tell the players, hey, we'd love to get rid of arbitration. This was your idea. It first got into the CBA because of you. If you wanna get rid of it, go to my island, my plan, which is free agency for all of you every year. And the players say, nah, I'll take my chances in arbitration. By the way, I think this has been a really bad offseason for baseball after a terrific season with a lot of popularity, a lot of good ideas that basically two agents and three clients have dragged the entire sport to a standstill. To the point, David, if you're Major League Baseball, do you almost need to reconfigure the offseason and say, listen, um, we got – 20 days in which all the deals need to be done right here. Okay. Because like the winter meetings, I would never send my news organization to the winter meetings anymore. I'm throwing thousands of dollars away and nothing's happening because Scott Boris doesn't want it to happen till Valentine's day. Well, then I'm staying home till Valentine's day. So there's two. Well, are you home most Valentine's days? Uh, No, the funny thing is, David, I'm always working on Valentine's day. Boy, you must be a great Valentine. I'll tell you, I'm a catch, David. I'm a catch. You are something. (laughs) So a couple things. The best way to neutralize Boris is to not bail him out. And owners bail him out. And I'm guilty of that as team president. We bailed him out on Wei-Yin Chen. We've bailed him out on many players. If you let his players go unsigned and don't give in to his demands, he will not be able to hold baseball in this state of inaction. The second thing is that I couldn't get the owner votes. I needed 23 votes and I went after it to try to get an off-season deadline to make the trade deadline in July and to make the free agent deadline in December. And that way we could own a day during the season in the NFL and then we would know our rosters and we'd be able to get ready for spring training. And the reason why owners wouldn't do it is they felt as though if you put a deadline on signing free agents, you take away the ability of our baseball people who we think are smarter than yours to really filter through and manage and put together their roster. Because when you force things, that's when bad deals can happen at the last minute is their view, like the last day when you exchange arbitration numbers and you see 70 players signed because some owners give in. 
I really like the idea of a deadline. I think in the next CBA, it's going to come up again because of the way these off seasons are going and how slow they are because it's bad for the fans and it's also bad for the players. So the union's aware of it and the players who don't know where their kids are going to be or where they're, they're going to be. So there's a lot of forces in play that I think will bring your issue right back to the table. He's David Sampson. In 47 minutes, he will record today's version of Nothing Personal with David Sampson. He does it 8 a.m. Monday through Friday. You can also see him on CBS Sports HQ. Follow him on Twix. David, the letter P, Sampson. David P. Sampson. David, have a great rest of your week. We'll talk again in February. Happy almost Valentine's Day. See you later. (laughs) He sounds like a better catch than me, Mark. He really does. He's more fun. He wants to go to the movies. And you just want to converse. That's all right. He, he's going to sit in a room for two hours and not talk to his Valentine. You're going to at least converse. You're just going to do play-by-play for a college basketball game, and she's going to have to listen in another city. Right. She'll end up talking to David is, is what will happen. On, on I actually Valentine's get paid Day. not to converse by <laughs> well, my Valentine. That, that's what marriage is called, David. Divorce. You're listening to Miller and Moulton, only on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. Twenty-one minutes past the hour. Pat Kerwin, forty minutes away, joining us live from the Senior Bowl in Mobile. Miller and Moulton, the Florida Sports Network, FloridaSportsNetwork.com. So, um, do you know? Besides, obviously, you know, they've never been to the Super Bowl. You know how many franchises, by the way, have still not been to the Super Bowl? It's four, right? Correct. Uh, The Lions and the Browns. The Browns had the three-year hiatus, so, you know, their drought isn't as long as Detroit's. And then uh, Jacksonville-Houston. So those are the four franchises that have yet to even appear in the game. Obviously, the list is significantly longer for those franchises yet to win the Super Bowl. But the other thing, Mark, that the Lions had a chance to do Sunday, which has still not been done, no Dome team has won a conference championship game outdoors. Hmm. Still, to this day. So home field does exist. Well... Apparently, if you get that far or you play in a dome, you know, if you think about it, the, you know, the Saints, they've played at least one, you know, they played at Soldier Field, the Bears in the 060s, and I think all their other NFC title games have been at home. But, you know, I mean, we can go right through the dome teams, you know, name the dome team that won the conference championship game on the road, Peyton and the Colts, you know, they never won in New England or anywhere else for that matter. And there are a lot of dumb teams. So what you're saying is the dome team needs the one. Or they need to get have some it luck. play out where they get the conference championship game at home. It's something to keep in mind going forward. You know, you would think here we are, in the 2020s, and we've had teams playing in the Dome now since the 70s. 
you know, I mean, you know, we've had a, quite a few dome teams, good ones too, take their, you know, crack at it. You know, now, you know, we can argue, you know, are the Cowboys, you know, insert Cowboys joke here, are the, are the Cowboys, do they play in a dome? Because that can be open aired. You know, is SoFi a dome? No. You know, Jarrett's place is a dome. SoFi's not a dome. You know, it's open on the sides and it could be open up top or it cannot, you know, so. But so far, still, we've yet to have a dome football team win a conference championship game outdoors to go to the Super Bowl. I found that to be an interesting factoid. There's not many of those left in professional sports. Our poll question today is a pretty simple one. Who is your favorite NFL announcing crew? We went with the A-teamers. Buck Aikman, Nance Romo, Tariqo Collinsworth, Burkhart, and Olsen. Go to that Mark Miller, the David Moulton on Twitter, FL Sports Network on Twitter, or FloridaSportsNetwork.com to cast your vote. It's going to be close. I don't know who's going to win it. I think Romo's going to win it. No, I don't. Maybe uh, I do. Well, from that angle, it looks like he will. Jim? Gene? <laughs> Tracy? Just, good thing in the playoffs, they have those big crews, so he can just call out like four or five different names. Jay? Yeah, hot you potato. Know. So this is last time, at least for a while, that uh, we can put Olsen in uh, in a poll question like this. How long will it be till Greg Olson is back as a number one analyst? Over under two and a half years. Amazon doesn't count. Oh, okay. All when right. They, when, That's a, him, when he gets moved to replace Herb Street by Amazon on Thursdays. And I think Fox will let them, by the way, just like ESPN let Herb Street do that gig. Now, they wouldn't let Herb Street do the playoff game on NBC, okay, but they did let him freelance and do the Amazon thing. I think Fox will let Olsen, if they offer him Thursday nights, let him do it. How long do you think until Olsen replaces Aikman, Collinsworth, or Romo? on one of the other three broadcasts over under two and a half years over I'll go under I think there's a chance that Collinsworth is out soon well they usually let announcers get one final Super Bowl you know they kept Al around for an extra Super Bowl much to Tariko's chagrin when he signed that contract he thought he was getting the Rams Bengals Super Bowl they kept Al around so next year's Super Bowl is Fox. And then the following Super Bowl, I think Super Bowl 60 is NBC. So that's why I'm going under. So you think Collinsworth's done after that? I do. I do. And I think NBC will pounce and hire Olsen. And I actually think if things don't get better at CBS with Romo, that CBS will make a decision. Do they let Olsen go to NBC or will they pounce and offer more money to have him replace Romo? This Super Bowl is a really big deal in the future of Tony Romo on the air. 
It he's is- going to get paid either way. He has six years at $17.5 million owed to him. I mean, it's $105 million to make him go away right now. It's fascinating because he's not our cup of tea. Right. But I know a lot of really people who really like Romo. Yep. I like yep. him. I like his energy, but I understand how for you guys, uh, from your perspective as play-by-play guys, I completely understand why you're not huge fans. Oh, and see, to me, it has nothing to do with that. I just think he's an idiot. <laughs> no, I do. I know. He's making – no, no, no. He's making stuff up. He's saying things that are blatantly false. Blatantly false and getting away with it. Well, yeah, and see, that's a whole different issue because then you're spreading misinformation. And I don't mean facts. I mean, like, he, football stuff, okay? He's saying something, and it's like, no, that's not what happened. That's not what just happened. So that's my problem. And I don't think it's a smart broadcast. I don't. Well, I, I don't sounds, either. It I sounds don't. more like a college you know, a bunch of us 22 years of old trying to feel our way and learn how to do a game than an NFL broadcast. Yeah, he goes for the snappy, witty. If he can. Entertaining. He certainly yep. tries. He tries. Yep. And I get it. I try every day for four hours, too. I do, But I do five of these. Sometimes I'm funny, and sometimes it, it misses. Yeah. But I didn't think that was the point of being a color analyst on an NFL broadcast. There you go. 29 minutes after the hour. Time now for Trent in the play of the day. There was a lot of good NBA action last night, but oddly enough, our only NHL game went to overtime. So we're going to go to Canadian Tire Center in Ottawa where the Senators are hosting the Preds. Nashville got up 3-0 in the first period, but zipped the rest of the way. Ottawa 3-0 in the second period, scoreless third, and that's how we find ourselves in overtime. And three and a half minutes into that chaotic Overtime period, the home team called game on this play. Back the other way, another two on one. Here's the action we've been waiting for. Giroux gets it back, Stutzlop, back to Giroux, one-timer, and Claude Giroux scores! Claude Giroux ends it, and the Senators win 4-3. Mark, they're headed to Hockey Town to take on our Red Wings tomorrow. And there's your play of the day presented by Molly Maid. It's the Molly Made play of the day. Call Molly Made today, 239-774-5839. That's 774-5839. Do like so many have done and make the switch. If you're looking for a clean house, call Molly Made today. Steve's waiting for your call as we speak. Give your spouse the gift of a clean house. Huh? And then put that on a T-shirt. Say, here's your Valentine's Day gift. Don't laugh. That's an underrated Valentine's Day gift. A T-shirt? There- Yes. Okay. And Molly made. Miller and Moulton, thanks for listening. Welcome back to Miller and Moulton, only on the Florida Sports Network. Twenty-two minutes until the top of the hour, and that's when Pat Kerwin joins us. Live from the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Pat flew in yesterday morning. Curious what, if any, of the practices and what have you, he was able to see and whether or not the league was still buzzing about the conference championship games. Talk with Pat coming up 
in a little more than 20 minutes. Our poll question today, we went announcing teams. We went with the uh, A-teamers, if you will, in the NFL, the number one teams. You know, the Buck Aikman, Nance Romo, Tariko Collinsworth, Burkhart, and Olsen, which is going to be Burkhart and Brady, at least we're still led to believe, next year, which team do you like best? That's our poll question. That Mark Miller, the David Moulton, FloridaSportsNetwork.com. Do you think Brady's going to be the A-teamer? Well, I always said no. I know that. That's why I asked. It, it seems but, like it's closer to happening now than ever before. Yeah, he's still talking about doing it. And I know for a fact he's had a couple meetings with a couple of the people that he would be working with next year on the crew. So he he seems as if it's full speed ahead. Do you know Olsen gets a $7 million pay cut? Because when they bumped him up from the B team to the A team, so to speak, uh, they, out of respect, said, hey, we're, we're going to pay you like an A teamer. And so he's got $10 million the last two years. And I don't know how many times Greg Olson made $10 million playing. I mean, you know, that, that seems like good, cold, hard cash to a Greg Olson, don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, the contract specifically says you go back to the B team, you know, you, 3 million. So Brady's costing him, you know, 7 million a year for however long he's got to, you know, hang out and be on the B team. So that's never mind the fact him and Burkhardt are buddies. They knew one another from growing up in Jersey. So, you know, the games won't be as good. You know, you're lucky if you even get one playoff game. Like Ian Eagle and Charles Davis, the CBSB team, they didn't even get a playoff game this year. For the record, in 2015, Olsen made $13 million. Okay, the year they went to the Super Bowl. And in 2018, he made a little over $12 million. Okay. So how much did he make in his playing career, by the way? You want to take a stab at it, or you want me to just give it to you? Uh, $68 million. Oh, wow, David almost won both showcases. He definitely got the car $70,176,613. David is your showcase winner. Boy, that was a pretty good guess. It was excellent. Um, So there there you go. I mean, you know, if if I cost you $7 million a year, would you hold a grudge? (laughs) Yes. Even though I'm the greatest quarterback of all time, though. I mean, come on. You don't need the money. Well, that's true. You know. Go do your Let's Go podcast and call it a day. I've got this gig covered. Let me ask you this question. Because he signed some ridiculous deal with Fox. I mean, he's like $350, I mean, I think he's making, I don't know, $35 million a year. Because he's going to do more than just do games. He's going to show up at all their corporate gigs and play golf and shake hands and kiss babies. And so, you know. But if you were Brady, would you stroke Olsen a check for $7 million? No. I think I, I'd I might. Seven, I'd give him something, though. I'd feel terrible. Well, I wouldn't feel terrible. I, I wouldn't I mean, feel – I would feel fine. They hired me. I, I would me. feel terrible. Yeah, Really? But- 
Well, don't wouldn't you respect Greg Olson's work ethic and he made it from the B team to the A team and because I'm Tom Brady, I just get to walk in and take his job and like David said, dock him seven minutes. I'd feel a little bad about that. I'd feel bad. I'm not saying Tom Brady will. I wouldn't I wouldn't feel bad that he's quote unquote back with the B team. Seven million though. You know, I mean for me, Tom Brady, seven million, not a lot of money. Uh, Greg Olson, that's a decent amount of change. Seven I think mil- I'd strike him a check. For seven million? I think I might. Yeah. You are the most generous rich person. I really you need to hit a powerball. Oh my goodness. Do you know how many people who would make out? And that's I'm not even letting my wife spend any of it. That's just me. How much of it I would give away. Oh my goodness. If she gets half, holy Toledo. She might give Olson seven million once she hears the story. Yeah. I really do think I'd stroke him something. I don't know, maybe half of it. I, I do. I think I'd, you know, hear a little something for the effort. I I, I do. So when in a year he gets that money back when he goes to NBC, do you want your money back? No. No, I'm good. Okay. First Wouldn't off, give him a dime. Years. Not a It'll, not a single dime. Well, I'll tell you what though, maybe upon further review, when he gets the Amazon gig for 10 million, maybe I'd say, well, you know, you're doing okay. You know. That that two-year hiatus, you know, my gap year if you will. You know, and you you did a Super Bowl and you established yourself, and now you got the Amazon gig because of it, and they're paying you the ten million. So maybe I don't have to. Yeah, I, I don't know. So candies, chocolate, cookies. I mean, and something. You know. You know, if nothing? it was Jeter, he could give him a Grand Wagoneer so he could see the coyotes on the ride back from the airport. But. <laughs> So, I don't know. My first inclination was, I feel a little bad. I mean, not totally. I want the gig, obviously. I agreed to it. And, you know, hey, you got it for two years. Most people don't even get that. I mean, this isn't like he's coming in demanding number 12 and he's paying off someone for a number. Right. I have to admit, though, I think Olsen's made life a little harder for Tom Brady. I definitely think he has, you know, because he's been good. Yeah, people like him. Do you think Brady will be as good or better than Olsen? No, I don't either. And I, th- I also think Brady will be more critical, and I'll be fascinated if he is. I think Brady's going to be more like how Johnny Miller did golf, and Johnny Miller was very polarizing to the golf audience. There was a healthy part of the golf audience that didn't like him being so critical. And there was a healthy part that loved that finally somebody willing to talk about this stuff. Because there's never been any player in any sport have the gravitas that Tom Brady's going to have when he puts that headset on. If Tom Brady criticizes a coach or a player, I mean, you know, I try to get Troy to even go a little bit more out there. And I tell him all the time, I go, there's never been a football announcer have your resume. I go, the closest is Merlin Olsen. I go, seriously. I mean, and until Brady puts the headset on, I think Troy Aikman has the best resume of any color analyst in the history of the sport. And so when you are that accomplished as a player, 
you can criticize more. We're accepting of it. They go, well, you know, if Tom Brady says, you know, quarterback screwed up there, I mean, who am I to think quarterback didn't screw up? But announcers are not negative by nature. They're not critical by nature. And they get far more grief when they are critical than when they're praiseworthy. Which is why they're praiseworthy. Right. Because nobody wants criticism. Everybody wants to be liked. It's why Collinsworth will end up in last. It's why the Tariqo Collinsworth has a good shot to finish in last place on our poll. Because Collinsworth can be critical. And people don't like him for it. And so, and I think Brady, at least based on, I listened to his weekly talk show, which he's done for about three years now. Tom Brady is pretty opinionated. Now, Mark and I have talked about this a lot. People let their guard down a lot more on radio than they do on TV. A lot more. All right. I used to do local television. And when I was doing my radio show on location and I knew we were going to have a guest on site that I you know, I probably want a soundbite from this person on the 6 o'clock news, I would bring the television gear and I would just have it set up. And then eventually, you know, I'm interviewing so-and-so during the show. And then when the show's over, that, you know, it just the camera's right there. Stand in front of the camera. Here's the microphone. Go. They immediately tense up. You put that mark. It's the you light. Know, you it's put the that light, stuff. David. I, I'm yep. telling you, it it seems weird. And I know from the first time, because I was doing radio, and the first time I did my first stand-ups on TV, I was stiff as a board. And yep. I came back, and my boss at the time, Craig Jenkins, he's like, we got to work on you on camera. You're stiff, man. You got to loosen up. And it's just, you're so afraid to move to make a mistake and to look silly. And for whatever reason, when you're on radio, you think 11 people are listening until you give away the free T-shirts and then the phones light up. But otherwise, you think you're talking to 11 people. When you're on television, for whatever reason, you think everyone's watching. Except for the most of the stations I worked for. We were in such distant third place. I mean, we were like... You know, we were a court order away from second place. I mean, that's how far away we were. So I, I knew that my radio audience was bigger. It was like 11 to 9 radio to TV audience. In that brawl in Anchorman, I know which team. I know what news team you were. You were definitely totally. the third one to show up. Yes. Totally. Yep. I mean, we would say things sometimes just to see if people were watching. Hey, anybody call the front desk afterwards? No. Oh, okay, good. Trent, you'll love this. Worked for ABC in Fort Myers, and we would do the news live after Monday Night Football. And there was, and we'd same thing that that's when ABC had the Stanley Cup playoffs. And so there were a couple times that by the time they got to the sports, it was after two o'clock in the morning. And so one day I said, Listen, I don't think anybody's watching right now. And so I put up a full screen graphic of our phone number in the sports office. I go, you call, you leave your name and number, and I will send you some ABC7 gear. And I held up like a shirt and a hat. And I said, listen, I don't even own these. I had to borrow these. Okay. I will give you some ABC7 swag. Seven people called. People like free stuff. 
But it was like 2.09 in the morning. But anyway. The t-shirt theory, once again, proven true. Yep. Will the Brady theory be proven true? Will he be critical in the booth? And will you like it? I mean, that's the other side. Tom Brady's, right. I, don't, I don't know if he's universally liked, loved, but he's no. respected. Oh, of course. So when he is critical of a coaching decision or, I mean, listen, I don't think Tom Brady would have sat back like Greg Olson and accepted Dan Campbell making the decisions that he made. I, I think Brady would have chimed in and said, you know, listen, coach, we got to kick the field goal here. You know, I know we've got, or maybe he would have more forcefully agreed with it. But I think Tom would have been stronger in that situation. And I don't know if you would have liked it as much. You know what I find interesting? Tom Brady can't fake it if he doesn't like something. He cannot hide that smirk, that fake. He can't fake it. He can't just be fake. I like this. I like you. That was good. I didn't take offense to that. You know, so that's going to be interesting if that comes through on the broadcast, because if it does, then he will be more critical and inevitably will be very entertaining to watch and listen to. If you were Tom Brady's assistant, PR person, do you think this is a good thing he's doing or are you going to say, you know what, your Q rating right now is this, your popularity is this. Your Q rating is going to go up. Your popularity is going to go down. Because I think it is. I think his popularity will go down the minute he puts a headset on. There's no doubt. Because people just genuinely dislike some announcers no matter what. So then that begs the question, is he just going to get in there and be happy, happy, joy, joy, and take the check? I don't think, he, so. I don't think he can. I don't either. I don't but I'm so. to David's point, I mean, if you want to stay likable, you want to stay popular. Not necessarily, though. But, you know, remember, you know, some announcers come in and do it differently than it's ever been done before, and it actually captivates us. You know, what if Tom becomes the most critical analyst that the, I mean, there's never been anyone as credentialed as him. If anybody could be a critical analyst, it would be Tom Brady. And will we be accepting of it, though? Because. Obviously, his resume is a lot better than Johnny Miller, but Johnny Miller had a resume. Yeah, it was pretty good. You know, Hall of Famer, 26 wins, two majors. Yeah, you know, when his prime, he was actually better than Jack for a couple of years. Right. It's still not Brady's resume. Pat Kerwin next.